Well, happy Father's Day, dads. And, uh, you know, this day for many maybe is an exciting day. And because of their children, for others, it might come with maybe many different mixed emotions, whatever it may be, uh, because maybe there hasn't been a father figure in their life. But even though I want to let you know you can't change your past, you can have incredible control over how you shape your future. And God wants us to know that. And, uh, and I want you to know this, and God, more importantly, wants us to know this, that fatherhood is a calling. How many of you know that? Fatherhood really is a calling, and it's divinely ordained and mandated by God. So here's the reality for us humans, because none of us are going to uh, be a perfect father. None of us have had a perfect father, no, no matter how good he was. However, there is a perfect father who loves us with a love that is unimaginable, who comforts us and can strengthen us. And a matter of fact, he's a father that many of us may not have ever known. And I want to talk to you today about our heavenly father. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 as we go through this important passage of scripture written by a man named Paul. And he at one time, he hated Jesus and his church. Uh, but we see this, that Jesus rescued him and transformed his life. And he's writing to this group of people, these small churches in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey as we know it. He's writing to them about God's love, verses 14 through 21. It says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, in love excuse me, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just want you to consider this today, no matter what background you've had uh, in this room, but that I would ask you this question, this Father's Day, will you worship the faithful and perfect Heavenly Father? You know, and we know this, that worship just doesn't mean just singing, but worship at its deepest essence is saying, Father, I need you. And I'm a proud father of three amazing children. I am thoroughly blessed, I will tell you, in every possible way. And let me tell you, they are growing up way too fast. How many of you are with me? Your kids grow up way too fast. You know, and I remember when my kids were really young and starting to walk and they would run up to me. And parents, you remember this. When your kids were young, they would, they would walk up to you and they would hold their arms out. And they would say, Dada or Mama or whatever it may be. And they would walk up to you. And they're kind of, you know, they do the Frankenstein walk when they're little, right? And, right, that's they're trying to keep their balance. And they're, they're walking up to you. And so this is amazing. So you know what worship is? Worship is you and I kind of like walking to God, Frankenstein style, and saying, Dad, I really need you. Dad, I really want you more than anything else. 
And that is what worship is. How many of you know that? That, that, that is what worship is. Worship is saying, God, I need you just the way my lungs need my next breath. I need you more. So I want you to think about a couple of things today. As you come to this Father's Day, and there may be mixed emotions, and maybe you're very satisfied as a father, and maybe you're not today, things to think about our Father God in heaven. Will you let the Father love you with his regenerating love? His regenerating love. Now, regeneration means, it means not only that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior and our friend, it literally means that God shares his life with us. It literally means that God allows us to participate in his eternal kind of life. It means that God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to live in you. And it really, if you look up this word regeneration, it is like the regrowth of new life-giving tissue to tissue that is damaged. That is regeneration. When God comes into our lives, that it builds and helps those things that maybe are destroyed, those things in our life that have started to die. We start participating in the life-giving love and the regenerating love of God and God is saying, I am going to make you alive with my life. That's a great thing, isn't it? So not only does God love us, but he loves us with a love that gives us his eternal kind of life. And it is a regenerating love. Check this out in verse 16. 2,000 years ago, Paul says, I pray. What is he saying? He, I'm praying for you and me. This is a Jewish man 2,000 years ago, praying for you and me. God inspired him to do that. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you. Now, let's just pause here a, minute, a moment. Why does he need to strengthen us? It's because you and I are weak. The older I get, the more I learn, the more God accomplishes through me, the more I realize how weak and fragile I really am. How many of you have ever discovered that? Right, that the older you get and the more that you allow God to use you, the more you understand how fragile and weak you are and how much more of God you really need in your life. I realize that in a world like ours that we need to understand how weak we really are because in our weakness, in our weaknesses, we are stronger than I could ever be because my strength is not found in me, right? My strength is found in the one who is eternally strong. So if you're weak here today, I've got good news for you. God wants to strengthen you in your inner being. And, and you know uh, what he wants to do? He wants to strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the end goal. So that Christ may strengthen your hearts through faith. Think about this. The Jewish Messiah the eternal son of God could have chosen to live anywhere. And he goes, I want to live in you. I, 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 could, I could live anywhere that I wanted. But the eternal son of God says, I want to live in you. And, I, you know, it's kind of like um, I, I want to uh, be uh, inside of you like that spiritual townhouse, that spiritual home. I want to live in you. He could have chosen anywhere. And he goes this, I want to live in you. So you know what that means? I know what you're thinking. You go, well, I am not worthy. And he goes, I know. That's why I went to the cross. That's why I rose from the dead to make you worthy. 
You go, I don't deserve that. He goes, I know that you don't. That's why I'm giving you grace. How valuable you must be to God. He says, I'm going to deposit the greatest treasure in heaven, the glorious riches of Christ Jesus to live inside of you. And then he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Don't you love the imagery of that portion of scripture? Rooted. That's amazing. What beautiful imagery. That the deeper your roots are in God's love, the bigger and stronger your tree is going to be. And more beautiful the life-giving fruit is that will be produced. Will you let the Father's love root himself in you through Christ Jesus? Why does God need to make us alive? If you go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, it says, As for you, that's speaking to you and me, you were dead in your transgressions, you were dead in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. So all of us, we understand through Scripture, are born spiritually dead. We're all born spiritually dead. Now, for those of you who have kids... How is it that the first word they learn that they're really good at is no and mine? And think about that. As parents, do we ever tell our babies no or do we go, little baby, this house is mine? How do they learn that? And it doesn't stop. Parents, am I right about this? You know, your kids are in high school. You pick them up from school. You pick them up from practice after school. You go to McDonald's and you buy them burger and fries and then you have the audacity to ask them for a French fry. <laughs> Not French fries, uh, French fry. I'm talking about Uno, one here. And you go, hey, can I have a French fry? And they go, you want a French fry? Uh, no, you're not, yeah. And you're like, I just bought it for you. You don't even pay rent at the, my house that you live in. And the, I bought your clothes that are on your back. The DNA you have, it's mine. Give me a French fry. I just want to, can, can the brother get a French fry? Right? Right? Some of your teenagers go, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's how we are. You know, it's crazy. Why is it a virtue to go from being selfish to selfless? Now, that is just a small picture of the condition that we need to be made alive. Look at Paul says in the rest of the verse. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Oh, yes. In other words, we were separated from God. We were spiritually dead. Look at verse 4. I love it. You know why? Because it starts with the word but. God has big butts and he cannot lie. Satan will try to deny. Watch this. But because of his great love for us, before you ever called on the name of Jesus, our perfect and faithful father had already sent him on his way. What was his motivation? Great love. And he goes on, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. So the apostle Paul, he goes on, he's talking about this and he's telling them about this, but because of his great love for us, our God, our Father, who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, you know what that means? It means that recession did not affect his mercy account. It means he never asked for a loan on mercy. It means he never, ever runs out of mercy on his best day, on his worst day. 
that you and I can dip into his pool of mercy and we will find mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been through. But there's a father who is merciful and he wants to lavish it on you. He is rich in mercy. Uh, it, it's like it gets better. I can see the apostle Paul, you know, he's just sitting there. And you think, man, at some point while he's talking about this, he had to get up and dance and break it down like scribe. Just pause for a moment. I got to break this down. He gets up and dances before the Lord. Look in verse 4. What does this great love and mercy do? It's made us alive with Christ, the very resurrection and the life of Jesus that he walked out of the tomb that he now walks and resides inside of our life, even though we were dead in transgression, it is by grace that you have been saved. The word saved means to be rescued. Rescued from what? Spiritual death, separation from God's family. Now you're rescued. Now you're brought in. And not only are you forgiven, but you're given great love. You're given great mercy and you're given the very life of Jesus as our life. Grace simply means that Jesus does for us what we could never do ourselves. And for 33 years, Jesus perfectly lived the Ten Commandments because we couldn't. It was like Jesus took the ACT and the SAT for us, and God the Father goes, Jesus scored perfect. I give it to you as a gift. You go, that's not fair. And he goes, I know. That's why it's called grace. And he died a death that we should have died on the cross. And he raises us to new life again. And he gives us his regenerating love. The second one is, since Father's Day, today, will you let our perfect heavenly Father love you with his redeeming love? Now, when you and I many times think of redeeming, maybe you think of a coupon that you take into a store and you're like, I get 20% off whatever I want to buy. No, no, no. The word is rooted in the story of the nation of Israel during a period called Exodus. So if I were to take you back and talk about this word, I'd have to go back to the Old Testament, connect it to the Old Testament pictures and stories and types of what was taking place. And we know these stories, but we need to be reminded of them that thousands of years back, there was a father, and he had a bunch of sons, and one of them was named Joseph. And he gave Joseph an amazing coat, a Giorgio Armani coat. He gave him a real nice coat, and the other brothers didn't like it. So they beat Joseph up, told his dad, Joseph's dad, put him and sold him in slavery, put him in a hole in Egypt. He's about 18. He gets sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt in a man named Potiphar's house. And, and, you know, I don't suggest you name your kids Potiphar, ladies, but if you do, that's cool. But Potiphar was high up in Pharaoh's organization. He was a leader in Egypt. And one day after he's working, he's still loving God despite all of his hardships. And Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and he's looking good. He's buff. He's 17. He's a Hebrew boy. The sun's glistening all over him. She was a cougar, and she sees him. She makes advances at him. And he was like, no, I love the Lord. And I, and I do not want to mess up this relationship I have with God. And she blames him, and she tries to say that he assaulted her. And so he gets... He gets sent to prison again, and while in prison, he continues to love the Lord, and his leadership gifts flourish. And you 
condense the story down, you see that uh, he becomes second in command in Egypt. The brothers, you know, they thought he was dead. They were starving then in the land of Canaan. And so they go to Egypt because they hear there's a wise man there. And we see Joseph forgives him and he goes and they, they go get his dad and they bring all the Hebrews to Egypt. And he says, you go to the land of Goshen, get away from us, go over there. And what happens is they started to multiply and multiply and multiply. And you have a whole nation now that is growing. And Joseph dies and there's a new Pharaoh and he's like, who are these people? You know, all these people make great slaves because I need to build some new things. And they get enslaved. And things are really bad, and the Hebrew people cannot fulfill the covenant of God, which was to show the world what life with God really is life. You know, God's people are always missionaries, but they couldn't do it because they were in prison, they were in shackles, and they were oppressed. So God gets this guy named Moses that we're very well aware of, a stuttering man, and, and God tells Moses, I hear my people's cries, and I'm going to set them free from Pharaoh and Moses is like, yes. And God says, by the way, I'm going to use you to do it. And, and Moses, you can imagine, wow, what are you talking about? And God says, I got you. Trust me. And God brings a bunch of plagues. He, he, he gives Pharaoh mercy. And, and you know what hardens Pharaoh's heart? Something I want to share with you just real quick is mercy. The more mercy God gives you and me and we reject it, the harder our heart gets. The more mercy that God gives us and we reject it, the harder our heart gets. So finally God says, I've got to go to the extreme. I've, I'm going to take the firstborn of all the male children in Egypt. You Hebrews, I want, I want you to put the blood of sacrifice animals on your door and the angel of death is going to pass by. So the angel death passed by and the firstborn dies. And Pharaoh is like, Hebrews, get out of here and leave. That's redemption. The nation of Israel has been set free from the captivity of Pharaoh. And you may go, well, what in the world? Why did you tell this story? What does it have to do with anything? It has everything to do. And here's why. That you and I were born into slavery to a greater Pharaoh called sin, death, and evil. Who in, who in here has never sinned? I'm not even going to look, okay? Because if you raise your hand, you know you're a liar. <laughs> so all of us know that we've sinned, and all of us recognize that, that, that one out of one people die. Everybody dies. All of us have been touched by evil, have we not? And there's a great Pharaoh, but there's a greater deliverer. And his name is not Moses. His name is Jesus. In the redemption of verse 17 through 19, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, power. I said this a few weeks ago. Those of you young adults under 30, you won't understand this, but you should probably go to YouTube. You have good times with JJ and the word dynamite comes to mind. The dunamis power of God. God in his love wants to give you dynamite. His redeeming love is a powerful love that can set you and I free. And he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp 
how wide, how wide, how long, how deep. Do you see the picture? The cross. That you would get a glimpse of this and you would see this to grasp. That's the love of Christ, to know his love that surpasses our knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does it mean? That God's love is a powerful love that has set us free. And I, as I said a moment ago, do not know what you are going through today. Maybe you're in the clutches of addiction. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by dental floss today. Maybe it's self-esteem issues I'm not sure whatever is enslaving you, you cannot withstand the power of God's redeeming love. Whatever has your heart afraid cannot withstand the power of God's redeeming love. Whatever is robbing you of joy today cannot withstand the power of God's redeeming love. If you believe that, say yes. yes. And that love has been passed on to you and me. Wow, when I think of the many things that have been given to you and me through Christ Jesus, it's pretty powerful. You know, there was a world champion boxer named Ken Norton, whose son, Ken Norton Jr., became, I believe, a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. And then you have, yes, thank you. <laughs> I saw somebody wearing a Dallas shirt here earlier today. And Archie Manning, who was drafted to New, or New Orleans Saints, who has two extraordinary sons, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, who both have won Super Bowls as quarterbacks. What is in the genetic code of a Manning that can become a pro athlete and play the same position and achieve at the highest level? In baseball, Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. By the way, there are over 100 father and son combinations in major, major league sports. And it goes on in other arenas as well, acting, entertainment, even with a president. Former president has done this. I can see a craftsman or a blacksmith passing on his craft to his son, but there is something, something in the right that God gives us that comes out of the Father's DNA that, that goes beyond the genetic makeup, even beyond the environment of family and relationship where something can be passed on to our children from the Heavenly Father in and through earthly Heavenly Fathers that can be passed on to the next generation and for those of you here today who never knew your dad, you really didn't know what your dad was like, maybe it is a longing just to meet him or see him or experience him. Most boys and men that I've seen go through this, they really do want to connect with that. And many of them feel a huge vacuum and an internal uh, emptiness of not knowing who they are. There's a deep connection that goes beyond flesh and goes beyond blood. I don't know if you've ever seen these programs that connects people with their ancestors. There's something the human soul longs for and the understanding of where we've come from. We want to find out who we belong to so that we can know where we should go. And I think the fathers that are here and our fathers that have passed on we need to realize how important we realize that Jesus is the cornerstone, but fathers are a foundation in our 
communities and in our nation and in our world today. And let me tell you, dads, we need you like never before to encourage and help this generation, this fatherless generation that so needs dads and so needs godly men. You know, we want to find out who we belong to so that we can know where we should go. Our Heavenly Father, I want you to know, is a champion, and He's put that champion spirit within you and within me. Will you let the Father redeem you? So purpose is important, and the Father's love wants to give us that. And then also, will you let God the Father's love repurpose your life for His glory? Look at verse 20. Now to Him who is able, you just think about that, now to Him who is able, God is able. Can you say that with me? God is able, we think about this, to do what? He's able to do immeasurably, more than all we could ask or imagine. And we think about this, God is able to do more than all we could ask or imagine. If somebody would have told me this when I was a skinny little kid in junior high, growing up in Iowa, it's crazy that, that God's going to do exceedingly above and beyond whatever you could think or imagine and that I would be able to stand here today Wow, that's amazing. Here's my point. There's a God who wants to blow your everlasting mind. That's what I'm saying. Do not underestimate what God can do in and through you. Because we have a God, the Father in heaven, who wants to blow your everlasting mind. There's a God who wants to do something great in you, so phenomenal. That when you look in the mirror, you, you've got to pinch yourself. You've got to say, man, thank you, God. Not out of pride or boastfulness in us, but in who God is and the God that we serve. You know what happens if you're in that place today and you're like, I'm finding myself in a story that I don't particularly like. I've got some good news. It's only a semicolon. God is still writing, and he is the great editor, and he is not done with you. He is not finished. If you got breath in your lungs, he's still the God that does exceedingly above all that we could think or imagine. That's what I want you to know. There's not a period. You know why? Because I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. We need to pay attention to the right things. See, what you and I pay attention to shapes who we are. The voices you listen to will begin to define the voices and the voice that you have. We live in a time when we allow ourselves to listen to so many things that make us inattentive to becoming the people that we shouldn't be. So we look at this. How does this happen? Well, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be the glory. We want his voice his voice to shape us, his thoughts to shape us. Do you know what glory means? Glory simply means this, God, I want my life to be a spotlight that says how great you are. And he provides the power to do it. He wants to repurpose us. And Jesus said it best, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do, how do you express that? Well, that's called your vocation, your calling. So if you're a pilot, love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. If you're a teacher, love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. If you're a neuroscientist, 
Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. If you're a lawyer, politician, janitor, CEO, whatever it is that you do, whatever God puts in your hand, you love him, you love yourself, and you love your neighbor. Let his repurposing love transform you in this world, and not only in you, but through you. May God repurpose you. If you're in here today, men or women or young person or whatever it may be, and you say, I have been heading in the wrong direction for so long, God can repurpose your life today. He has claims on you through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he can redeem you and repurpose your life for a greater glory and a greater good. And by the way, we tend to hunger the things our fathers make us thirsty for. Fathers have both an extraordinary and catastrophic way of passing on themselves to their children. Isn't that true? Fathers in this room, it's a great and mighty calling. It's a sacred privilege that we get to do what God's called us to do. What are you making your families hungry for? What are you making them thirsty for today? What is it that's going on inside of you that's making them thirsty for the things of God and the things of the Lord. You know, I know that we were designed to long for the moment. And our fathers looked and said, hey, as a young man or a young woman, you're ready. You long for that. What's the narrative that's happening in you today? There, there are things in, in your life that God values and treasures that he can bring to life. So many are waiting for that moment when that, that father figure would look at us and say, it's time. Be strong. You're growing up and, and celebrate those memories where the journey has taken you. There might be some here today that don't understand your destructive behavior. You don't know why you do the things you do. You're still trying to be loved. You're still trying to be blessed. You were designed in a, in a, in a perfect world, in a healthy world, to be raised by someone who invested you, saw the divine potential in our life, and called it out of you. So what am I saying today? What am I saying in this room, whether you're a man or a woman, young person or a child? You need to find your father. You need to find your father. You need to find your heavenly father to help set you free through his redeeming love that he has for you. That's what I have to offer you. And it's the greatest offer that could ever stand. The heavenly Father's love that he has for you and for me. And here, if you will, is our soul tattoo. If you're taking notes, it's our big idea. It's our take home. Stop trying and start trusting your faithful and perfect Father. Come on, stop trying and start trusting your faithful and your perfect heavenly Father who has never and will never, ever let you down, ever. Amen. Amen. Would you begin to trust God today with whatever you are going through, trusting him that he's perfect in all of his ways.